What do you say to survivors of the worst crime against the Jewish people since the Holocaust? How do you put into words that which cannot be expressed? And how do you get over the fear of saying something wrong? These questions were swirling through my head as I met the parents and two teenage daughters who survived the nightmare in their kibbutz near Yitzchak, near the Gaza border on October 7th. Yesterday, when I met them, I told the mother that we feel mishutakim in Hebrew, which means paralyzed, that we want to do more and yet we feel so far away. And as I thought about it more, I realized that though we may feel paralyzed, we have most certainly mobilized. One such initiative brought this family to Sandy Springs to be hosted by Temple Sinai. This became reality due to the idea of Abe Sharoni and the work of Rabbi Sam and many others who volunteered to show this family a good time through lots of love and support. Our guest today is one of these individuals, Kevin Abel, who volunteered along with his wife to host this family for the past week. Not only a mensch, Kevin is a highly involved member of our community and congregation. In May of this year, Kevin was appointed by President Biden to the United States Holocaust Memorial Council. He has served on the board of countless community and Jewish organizations and volunteers his time generously. Welcome to Seeking Sinai, the podcast of Temple Sinai in Atlanta. We continue in our new format, focusing on Israel as we cover this war and its implications for the Jewish world. There is always a lot to talk about, so let's get started. Kevin Baruchaba, welcome to Seeking Sinai. Thank you very much. Pleasure to be here. So, uh, as I mentioned, you uh, volunteered your time, your your home for this family visiting us from Israel who escaped uh, this tragedy. Um, what's this past week been for you? Yeah, well, first I have to say, um, it all falls on my wife, Cindy, who is doing all the cooking and, and the preparation of the house. We landed up with new drapes and, and some new pieces of furniture out of the mix. So um, it's, it's been a, a, a really wonderful experience. I kind of hesitate to use the word wonderful because, of course, we're living with a family that has experienced such deep, deep tragedy. But they are just wonderful people and lovely and setting aside the tragedy of the moment and just trying to enjoy their time, have a peaceful place for their daughters to enjoy life for a week or for a few months because they're going to be traveling to different cities in the country. Um, they've discovered Target and it is the best thing since sliced bread for those <laughs> girls. Um, and it's it's just been wonderful to see the joy in their eyes, knowing just how much uh, tragedy is just a little bit deeper inside of them. Yes, I should. I should have thanked Cindy by name. So thank you as well. Um, you know, in my in my in my conversations with them, I was struck by how uh, grateful and gracious and unassuming they were. Uh, I, I guess I wasn't expecting that after uh, after what they've been through. Well, you know, of course, we there was quite a bit of trepidation that Cindy and I felt when you know when they arrived, we weren't sure what we should say or what we could say or what questions we could ask. But you know, they've led all of the conversations and they haven't hesitated to go down those dark places and, and talk to us. Yesterday, I had a conversation with uh, with with the father about you know the morning of October seventh, what what they actually did physically, what they experienced emotionally, how they dealt with the growing realization of what was happening. And he was just, you know, he wanted to talk. I could sense that that he really wanted to share. So so we've, we've been able to have a lot of really uh, good conversations. Yeah, we spoke about it as well during dinner. And, uh, and I was surprised because I, I imagine many people ask him about it and people have different comfort levels, uh, I would imagine, going through such trauma. 
Um, so how, um, speaking of October 7th, uh, as, 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 as a Jew, as a human being, how, how did you experience the events of October 7th? And, and how has that experience changed as the months have gone by? Yeah, I think like most um, Jews, you know, in the diaspora, you know, and, and I'll speak now for, for most of my peers and people here in, in America, you know, I think we've experienced the same kind of sense of, you know, waking up in the morning, our morning of October 7th, which of course was already late in the afternoon, Israel time, and seeing the headlines and being shocked at, at the numbers at the time, you know, 100 killed, you know, 10 hostages, and then to see over the next few days this growing realization of how massive the scale of the tragedy was in terms of the sheer number of people involved, the sheer massiveness of this terrorist attack um, it was just so difficult to wrap one's head around. And then that sense of, oh, here we go again, knowing full well that Israel would rightfully invade Gaza and 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 seek, you know, not so much retribution, but but a, an elimination of this terrorist organization, knowing full well what that would mean for the politics in America, the politics of the world, as it regards to this um, this the, this antagonism towards Israel and, and Israel's right to exist relative to uh, the Palestinian community. And, and so we've gone through these last two months, and it's played out almost exactly as one would predict, which is just shocking and sad, and the growth of anti-Semitism has been even beyond um, what we could have anticipated. It's like I, I feel like so m- many of the world's Jews are just uh, are just sitting in disbelief because it's exactly as you said. There's like this uh, this script or it's it's a textbook, and you know exactly how it's going to go. And yet you think after the events of October seventh, the the gravity of them, the uh, just the, the the scope, the the victims, like like, like you mentioned in Israel. If one soldier is killed, if one, if one, if three people are killed in a terrorist attack, the whole country is in mourning. With this attack, with the the sheer scope of it, it's just um, it's beyond belief. So we would have thought that the world would have reacted differently, and yet within a couple of days, as you as you mentioned, things just changed. Yeah, and there's there's bright spots, of course. I mean, I think um, I, I think we can all agree, no matter what your political stripe, that the that the president, our president Biden, you know, came out forcefully um, in support of Israel and in support of Israel's right to defend herself, and it was it 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 was you know obviously satisfying to see that. Um, you know, there's been another kind of, you know, kind of unexpected um, upside. It's a terrible way to put it. But, you know, there's almost like a coming together of Jews here in the diaspora who otherwise don't agree on politics or the politics of Israel and the politics of America. And here we find ourselves, you know, very united in our sense of support for Israel um, and our sense of, of commitment to, to Israel's right to, you know, the integrity of its borders and security. You know, we're just finishing uh, Hanukkah as we speak, so so thank you for bringing some light into the conversation. I was kind of stuck on the darkness there, but you uh, you you brought us back to a hopeful place. Fair enough. Fair <laughs> enough. Um, and and uh, you know, speaking of President Biden, uh, Israelis still talk about about his speech as one of the most amazing Zionist speeches in in history. I, I, I had that. tears in my eyes when I watched that speech. I yeah. mean, absolutely. You know, of course, I'm a, I'm a great fan of our president. Uh, I'll betray my politics. 
but but that was a remarkable speech. It was remarkably forceful, much to the chagrin of of the progressive left in this country. But um, you know, he said what needed to be said, and you know, he is one who has fifty years of experience in international uh, politics and diplomacy. He understands in ways that I wish the rest of America understood um, the Middle East. Yeah, it was a speech that transcended politics. Uh, it was it was amazing, and just the uh, the empathy. It, it, it was so obvious through his words that he understands Israel, that he's been there for, for so long, standing by Israel's side. And you're right, I, I kind of felt tears welling up as well. Um, you know, speaking of tears welling up and, and, and sadness, there, there, there's a video that um, I wanted to ask about. The, the IDF and Israeli consulates around the world have been screening this 43 or 44 minute video of the Hamas atrocities that were largely taken from their own footage of GoPro cameras, as well as kibbutz security cameras from that awful day, and showing it to people so that we all can bear witness. I'm curious if, if you did see it, if you did what you thought, if you if you didn't, why not? No, it, it's a good question and one that I've had some introspection over. You know, I was invited to the second screening and I and I chose not to go. And I thought, you know, my my response was, I don't need to see that to know the scale of the atrocity and just how horrible it was. And just um, two days later, I was at the Holocaust Museum in, in Washington, D.C. And and one of the messages you get from being at that Holocaust Museum is this idea that you have to bear witness um, to what has happened and the, and the atrocities of the time. And I reflected on that relative to watching this video. And I realized that the right thing to do is to go see the video. So I committed that next time it is screened, I, I, I will um, suck it up, so to speak, and, and, and go watch and, and bear witness. And it definitely does require that. It's, um, it's, it's some awful f- footage. I know they just scheduled another, another screening um, as well. But that, that, that idea of bearing witness, uh, I'm, you know, I'm not sure. I'm not an expert on other religions and other faiths, but in Judaism, it's, it's, so, it's so important that idea of honoring legacies and honoring the victims um, by um, by bearing witness. Uh, so speaking of um, of the Holocaust, uh, we mentioned President Bob Biden earlier this year. He nominated you to um, sit on the United States Holocaust Memorial Council. Can you tell us about how that happened, and then we'll get into a couple of questions about the Holocaust itself. Sure. So, so I've you know been in the political world the last um, six or seven years, and um, you know very much engaged in the president's uh, election campaign back in 2019 and then 2020 fundraising uh, here in Georgia um, and and beyond. And, you know, one of the perks of fundraising for someone who runs for president who actually wins the presidency is there there's an appointment to something. And, and, <laughs> and this was this was, you know, obviously a, a very relevant and, and meaningful appointment that that was granted to me, and I, you know, sat on my first uh, council. It's a board, essentially the board of trustees for the for the institution, and I got to sit on the first uh, council meeting back on December sixth, um, I think it was, and it was uh, it was inspiring. It was it it was awe inspiring in terms of you know the, the the people who were sitting around the table and the work that the that the museum does around the world in terms of not just Holocaust education, but but taking on Holocaust denial and and you know drawing a bright line between anti-Semitism and the Holocaust and you know it all just 
comes right back to where we are today in a post-October 7th world and the critical importance of this message and of education. So the, um, the 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 Holocaust, you know, it's 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 a singular event in human history. It's a it's a unique event in in Jewish history, um, and it occupies uh, you know you know a very unique role in, in that sense. Um, many Israelis, like you said, as it comes full circle, have been talking about October seventh as a, 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 a mini Holocaust, as a form of genocide. Uh, what what are your thoughts on that? Should should we not be using that same word? Like, should the Holocaust stand alone? Or is this something that words do apply towards? I'm going to say I'm not going to, I don't have an opinion on on word usage in this particular case. I will say that, you know, we, we know that what happened on October 7th was the, the, the worst tragedy, you know, the worst attack on Jews since the Holocaust. So, you know, the the comparisons are, are natural. I think that, you know, just kind of in the broader context, we have to recognize, you know, the events that led up to the Holocaust, you know, it, it wasn't Hitler and Nazi Germany, it was anti-Semitism, which existed, you know, hundreds of years before the Holocaust, and it has existed in the 80 or so years since the Holocaust. And, and, and we just have to recognize that it, it hasn't gone away. It will probably never go away. And we've con- got to be continually, you know, awake to the idea that 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 there is this connection and, and that we have to continue to educate and continue to be, you know, aware. I, I, I think one of, the, one of the main reasons that Israel is still so traumatized and will be for generations is because it happened in Israel to a, a, a place that was founded. One of the reasons it was founded was to safeguard Jewish life so that a, a Holocaust, so that Jewish life was much more expensive than it ever had been in the past. The fact that Israel could not live up to that that's that expression, le'olam lo'od, never again, which we often say in Holocaust education, and yet, and yet it did happen uh, within Israel's borders. Israel did not keep its po- own population safe, uh, and and so I think that's that's one one of the reasons why it's just so deeply traumatic in the in the Israeli and also the Jew, the Jewish soul. Yes, no, I I agree, and I mean, look, we're we're all struggling with that, and certainly in, in inside our borders, Israel and Israeli citizens and and Israeli politicians will have to come to terms with this massive failure. Um, but at the end of the day, like with anything else, they'll learn from it, and and you know, in this particular case, again, you know, the the answer will be never again. You know, never again will they allow this kind of of, of defensive failure. At our borders, yeah, there, there, there was almost there was no human imagination for that. It, it simply was beyond the pale, uh, and and so life will most certainly change in Israel. Life will change, but you know, when when we talk to the the, the family uh, that are staying with us, you know, we, we talk about the future, and and they're staying in a hotel in Eilat right now. We say, you know, what's the future? And they're already making plans for moving back to the kibbutz six months from now. <laughs> Like it's hard to even conceive of of something like that. But these, this is a resilient people, these Israelis, and we've got to love them because they are, you know, collectively, you know, ultimately securing the state of Israel that we, the diaspora, you know, so so badly want to continue 
its existence, right? Beautiful way of expressing that. And it's so true, just the resilience of it. I, I asked him that same question. It's a question that like so many Israelis ask, you know, other Israelis who live in those border communities, uh, that the number one question, will you go back? Uh, and, and his answer yesterday was firmly, yes, we definitely plan to. Obviously, we need to feel safe, mm-hmm. but we have confidence that the army will allow us to feel safe and that this, the, this just war will change the reality for us. It's amazing. It is amazing. It's, it's mind-boggling, their resilience. Um, so we, uh, you mentioned before the, the Holocaust denial a, a, a little bit. For, for decades, we've seen Holocaust denial grow the, the further away from it that, uh, that we get. It's something that defies logic. And yet, in some ways, we've seen the same thing happen um, in the past uh, few weeks. We've seen an alarming amount of denial of the atrocities of October 7th. Uh, what, what do you think, if you had to get into the psychology of this, what's the root cause of this? I, I, I think it's plain and simply anti-Semitism. I mean, you know, that, that, that you know, you have, have this innate, um, you know, hatred of the other, and it takes its many forms, you know, whether it's uh, racism or, you know, um, you know, anti-LGBT and, and, and certainly anti-Semitism, which is the oldest of the, of the, the hate categories. And, and I believe that this is just another expression of that hate. Have you, um, have you experienced any uh, form of anti-Semitism here in Sandy Springs or anywhere else recently? No, you know, I mean, I, look, let me let me back off a second. Me personally, no, I haven't experienced anything directly. I mean, here in Sandy Springs, back I think it was in July and August, we we the community experienced um, some awful acts of anti-Semitism. What with um, little messages being put in plastic bags with a stone thrown onto driveways, you know, right right in now in the neighborhoods adjacent to us with 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 hateful messages and a and a synagogue in East Cobb. Um, being defaced. So the anti-Semitism is here. We know it's here. But, you know, prior to October 7th, it always felt still somewhat on the margins. You know, it was still the marginalized who were doing it. And the response of Jewish organizations like the ADL and, and AJC is generally not to call them out by name, to almost diminish their power by not, you know, calling them out by name in, 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 you know, in the public sphere, you know, recognizing that this is still a marginalized hate. But unfortunately, sadly, tragically, since October 7th, it has metastasized anti-Semitism around the world, let's face it. But, but here in America, Sandy Springs and, and, and on college campuses, we know, you know, throughout our country, it's, 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 it's found expression, you know, in the form of, you know, anti-Zionism or anti-Israel because of this war. But let's just face it, it is plain and simply anti-Semitism. Yeah, well, I, I think what's so scary, it's that word you use, metastasize. Uh, it, you know, we know historically anti-Semitism comes from the left, it comes from the right, it comes from the Islamic world. And, and here we're seeing it kind of all joined together into this, into this crazy mess that at its root has Jew hatred there. They come from it from different sources, and yet the hatred is the same. Uh, we, we were at an event for the FIDF, uh, I think a week ago or so, and they were chanting somehow, um, you know, pro Hamas, pro. Um, it's hard to say if they're pro Hamas or pro Palestinian supporters. Were right outside chanting genocidal slogans uh, from the river to the sea. Palestine will be free. Some people might think that's a call for peace. Uh, you know, there, there there was a survey on college campuses saying the majority of people didn't understand what it actually meant. But it's actually, 
you know, a very anti-Semitic claim. Uh, well, I, I think that, you know, we, we've learned a lot about racism in our country of, you know, since, you know, over the last, you know, five, six, seven years with some of the, the, the terrible police brutality incidents and other incidents, you know, we as a society have confronted ra- racism and, and try to understand this idea of unconscious raci- racism. You know, I, I think that in this post-October 7th world now, we're starting to recognize what I would call unconscious anti-Semitism. I think that so many of these college students, of these young people who are chanting these slogans, who are expressing sympathy for Palestinians, there's nothing wrong with expressing sympathy for Palestinians. But when it morphs into, you know, calling for ceasefires or telling Israel what they should do, when all around the rest of the world, they're not telling any other countries what to do with all these, you know, horrible things happening in terms of, you know, internal conflicts, the Russia-Ukraine conflict, etc. I, I see it as like an unconscious anti-Semitism, that, it, that it's there, it's just inside of us, inside of people, and it finds expression. And so when you ask, have I experienced personally um, anti-Semitism here in Sandy Springs? I say no. You know, um, you know, most of my friends are either Jewish or very Christian. The very Christian ones are some <laughs> of our best friends in Israel these days, which is, which, is, which is a fascinating another topic for another day. But my kids... When I none of them are in college, they're all post college now in their twenties. Um, but I've heard stories from them. I've I've seen posts on their Instagrams and and, and stuff. And their non Jewish friends who are part of their community are saying some things which I'll put into the category of unconscious race uh, anti semitism just to be charitable uh, to them. But they're saying some really really ugly things and, and, and things that, let's just face it, they're anti-Semitic. And, and you know, two of my girls have, have you know, dropped off social media because, because they, they can't stomach the fact that these people that are intelligent, that are their friends, are expressing sentiments that, that are just incredibly upsetting to them. Oh, they've gone off social media altogether. Yeah, yeah. I mean, when when they said they've gone off social media, it means they've shut off their account for a couple of months. <laughs> <laughs> it will never be forever, I assure you. Uh, what do you think we we can do to to combat anti-Semitism, or is it a phenomenon that's uh, you know as old as life itself, and it's largely out of our hands? No, I mean you can never give up on 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 fighting hate. I mean, you know, I'm 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 not suggesting that we'll ever you know dispense with hate in our world. You know, the the John Lennon um, uh, vision for for a, a world where we all live in peace is is, is unfortunately never going to happen. But, you know, institutions like the Holocaust um, Memorial Museum in, in Washington and, you know, the American Jewish Committee and the ADL and um, so many others, you know, will continue to work to confront anti-Semitism in all its forms, no matter what the you know, the issue of the day is education is key. Fighting Holocaust denial is key. You know, helping people who don't understand what they're saying is anti-Semitism is key. You know, the, adopting the IHRA definition of anti-Semitism here in Georgia, one of only 20 states that haven't adopted um, a clear definition of, uh, of anti-Semitism is key because when you can define it, you can identify it, you can call it out, and you can confront it. And I think that's what we've got to continue to do. So if we think we have a problem with anti-Semitism within our own borders, we know that it can be a, a lot worse um, around the world. Uh, do, you have, do you have any insights into uh, 
anti-Semitism surging in other countries besides America? Yeah, on, only uh, through family connections, you know, and, and conversations that have happened since October 7th. My sister lives in Sydney, Australia, you know, with her husband and, and two young kids. And, you know, she was crying on the phone with me. You know, I think it was in November sometime. There was a, a, a pro-Palestinian march, which morphed into some just ugly, you know, chants and, and things like that. I know it's happening in America too, but but from what she was describing it sounded that much worse and 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 you know kind of difficult to to bear over there in Sydney and and in South Africa where I'm from and where my stepmother still lives and my uncle like I've I've been hearing about um, similar incidences but in South Africa the government itself has sided with um you know with the with Gaza and Palestinians and 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 coming out with some you know very very um unkind um, comments about Israel and, and Israel's rights, which, which is very troubling. You're so diplomatic. Uh, you, 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 you said before, uh, uh, I'll charitably say, and here you said unkind remarks. Uh, I, it's one of the things I love about you. You're, you're, you're very tactful. You're well, very, I'm, I'm on the radio here. I can't <laughs> use the words that I want to use. <laughs> no, it's great. You're, you're, you're very deliberate with your words. <laughs> it's a good quality. Um, uh, a final question. Uh, oh, sure. you, you, you talked about your, um, your, your own children. What, what's your biggest fear for future generations as it relates to Judaism, Israel, anti-Semitism, your kids, your future grandkids, um, just generations? Yeah, you know, I, I've, I've thought about that. You know, I kind of think of it generationally. I, I, I was at, at an event last night and I was talking with someone a little bit older than me and we were talking about AI, completely different issue that we have to worry about. And I said, you know, and, and I'll answer the question in the same context. I said, you know, I'm not worried about us. I'm almost 60, you know, I'm going to be dead and buried in a you know, few decades. I hope I have, you know, these issues are, you know, kind of macro issues, big long-term issues. You know, what, are, you know, someone asked me, you know, here we are with Israel, the state 75 years after its existence, you know, where will Israel be 50 years from now? Who knows? I don't know. All we can do is continue to fight for what we believe in and, 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 and to in, imbue in our children and then in our children's children and, and the progeny beyond that these things that are so important to my grandparents and my parents and my generation are as important to future generations. And it's difficult in assimilated America to imbue that same, you know, my grandfather escaped from Nazi Germany, you know, by the height of his life, I mean, just barely alive. Um, you know, here we are two generations down. And as we go down further generations, they don't experience that same trauma. Uh, October 7th, of course, again, for all the wrong reasons, brings the trauma close to home and, and tells my kids' generation that they got to keep fighting the way their parents and grandparents fought for the right of the state of Israel to exist, for Jews to be able to live in the diaspora, free of the hatred of anti-Semitism. Beautiful. So, so inspiring. Uh, I love those words as, as our final ones. Uh, Kevin, uh, thank you so much for joining us here. We really appreciate it. It's my absolute pleasure, pleasure, Natan. Thank you so much. Hopefully not the last time. Absolutely not. And thank you for uh, tuning in to Seeking Sinai, the podcast of Temple Sinai in Atlanta. Join us in the coming weeks as we continue to have conversations with other Sinai members on the front lines of defending Israel and the Jewish people in the American and international arena. As we conclude, uh, I pray, Hashem Yishmo et Chalenu ve'et Chatufenu ve'et Medinat Yisrael mikol oivenu. May God bless and keep safe the soldiers of the IDF and the State of Israel. And may we see our hostages safe and home soon. And we say... Amen. Amen. Until next time, please make yourself a part of the conversation. Until then, Setchem de Shalom. Go in peace. <laughs>